0: It is my hope and my prayer that as we practice time with Him, as we learn to slow down and face our fears head on, that we will learn to be with Him and become like Him and eventually do all the things He's doing in this world around us. To love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. To forgive those who have wronged us. To be light in a dark and weary world. And it's my hope and my prayer that as we become more like Him and spend time with Him, our faces too will be transformed. Maybe not physically glowing, though that would be really cool. But maybe that when people look at you, they don't see all your anxiety and all your stress and all your worry and all your panic and all your exhaustion. But they see one who is deeply loved by God and spends
1: time with Him every day all your life. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. When you first start out in a relationship, there's a truth for every one of us
0: that when you first begin to get to know somebody, there's a whole lot of talking and a whole lot of activity. I mean, I highly doubt on your first date, you sat across from the table of whomever you're dating or now married to, and you just sat there and stared in silence. And then there was a second date. Like we've been on those first dates that are really awkward and we don't know how to talk to one another. Or like this guy is weird. My wife went on several of those dates, even after we got married, where she just looked and said, this guy is odd. When you're first getting to know somebody in a new relationship, that silence is really, really uncomfortable. Just bear with me for one minute. Okay, I won't actually make you do it for one minute. For like 10 seconds. Will you turn to somebody you don't know and just look at them in silence? It's really hard, isn't it? You're like, all I want to do is laugh because this is uncomfortable. And not only that, I feel the need to introduce myself. Hey, I'm sorry I'm staring at you. I don't know who you are and you don't know who I am. I'm not as weird and creepy as I seem. When we begin relationships, in order to begin to overcome that awkwardness of the unknown, we begin with a lot of talking and a lot of conversation. And in dating or even friendships, we often do things together. We go out and maybe we go bowling or maybe we do some kind of activity, something that can take the attention off of simply the other person. Because we all have, when we're getting to know people, that awkwardness of what if they know this side of me or this truth about me or this part of me I've been trying to keep hidden. But as you grow in relationship with anybody... The closer you get to them, the more comfortable you can be in silence with them. For some of you introverts, you're like, amen, I was there from the beginning. But honestly, for introverts, it's not always comfortable in silence. It's just more comfortable than talking. See, when we get to know somebody and become more intimate, simply being around them and together with them can carry a great weight in our soul that lifts us up and brings us joy and peace and love. And you can sit with somebody who you don't necessarily need to talk to. And it's good to be together. This level of togetherness, as we continue in our practice of prayer, this is our goal when we spend time in prayer with God. Initially, as we're learning to pray, we do a lot of talking to God. The more we learn to talk to God, we begin talking with Him and having conversation and sharing more than just the basics that we know we need and going into deeper things like our hurts and our pain. And as we learn to talk with God, we begin to learn to listen to Him to hear His still, small voice in our everyday, whether that's through our circumstances or our desire or through Scripture, we hear His voice in the subtle ways that He speaks to us. And as we continue in prayer, we learn to be content to just be with God, to be in His presence regardless of what we're feeling or experiencing or thinking, regardless of how awful this week has been or awkward this moment is to simply be with him. And that's more than enough. As we begin today, we're going to begin in a book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. I know we don't spend a whole lot of time back here. We need to spend more time back here because there's some really good stuff. Exodus chapter 33 is where we we will begin. If you're using the blue Bibles, it's so early on in the Bible, that's page 92. If you're using your own Bible, it's the second book. uh, Or you can use your phone, Exodus chapter 33. Now before we read this, let me just fill you in on what's happened thus far. God's people were enslaved in Egypt for almost 400 years, and God miraculously rescued them from Egypt, and He spared them from the slavery, and He delivered them with a great promise. And this great promise was that He would lead them into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. A phrase to refer to a land just overwhelmingly filled with good blessing and provision. And God's promise to lead them, but along the way they have to travel through a tiny little desert. If you've never been over to Israel or Mount Sinai and the Saudi Saudi Arabia Peninsula, if you've never been over there, you might know that this tiny little desert, on foot walking through it to get from Egypt to what is now Israel, this promised land God had given to them, it would take you about 11 days on foot. The people of God have set out on this journey and as the story unfolds in a little bit, they go greatly astray. And they completely miss the mark, and they end up spending 40 years wandering around that tiny little desert about the size of Rhode Island trying to get to an 11-day journey. If you think you're lost and confused, imagine being there 40 years in an 11-day journey. But they're not yet to the place of wandering. Still, they're making their way there. And on the way, there's this mountain called Sinai where God has promised on this mountain He would meet with His people. He would bless them. He would speak to them. And He would show them all of His plants. So on the journey to this mountain, we interact with Moses, the leader of the group, the man God has chosen for this role. Beginning in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch until Moses had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. You see, in God's rescuing miraculously from Egypt, God appeared to his people in a pillar of cloud by day, because if you've ever been in the desert, in the daytime, it's really hot, and a cloud provides coverage to protect you from that heat. And then this same cloud would become a pillar of fire by night because it's also really cold at night and really dark in the desert. And God would show up to provide for His people and to lead them. And they knew where God was moving based on where the cloud went. They would follow. This is where God is. So as they're traveling to Sinai, as they're getting ready to go and encounter God, Moses sets up this tent, this place of meeting, where if you want to seek the Lord, you can go to this tent and you can be with him. And every time Moses goes to this tent, God demonstrates that he is with Moses and with the people by moving the cloud there in front of the tent to show his people here in this place I am meeting with Moses I am here with my people I am here with you and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door thus the lord used or used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. We see this picture here in this story as it unfolds. Moses would regularly go out to meet with God as a friend, to be in that place of seeking Him and knowing Him face to face. And then Joshua, the one who eventually comes up after Moses, is there with him too. There's a few things I want to point out before we continue in this story. If you want to cultivate a practice of prayer, it's really helpful to have a designated spot to pray. Not because the place by itself matters, but because in your own prayer life, Part of the battle that will rage within is all the distractions and all the burdens and all the challenges all around you. And by creating a designated space, you have a place to very practically go and say, here I'm shifting my focus to be on God. And here I'm expecting to meet Him. And while He can and does meet you in all sorts of other places, There's something for you in that place that helps you to organize your thoughts and collect your feelings and simply be present. But also, Moses didn't go alone. He took with him one who would eventually come after him. Parents, if you have kids and you're learning to practice prayer, invite them into the practice of prayer with you so they can see from you how you live out this faith with God. So, they can learn from you how to talk to him and be with him and be a part of this journey together with him in whatever he has. If you don't have any kids, maybe there's a friend or someone else in your life who has no idea where God is in their mess. Can you invite them into a place of meeting with him together with you regularly? Now we continue. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people, Moses, in that place of prayer, intercedes, God, I want to know that you are with me and that these people are your people. You promised you would lead me, but I don't know where we're going. I feel lost. And he, that is God, said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. He said I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will be slow or and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy But God said you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live And the Lord said behold there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face you shall shall not be seen Moses cries out to God God I know you've led me here and I know you're leading us forward but I don't want to go anywhere you are not going I don't want to act in a way inconsistent with what you are doing. I want to follow faithfully and not in my own accord. God says, I will give you all that you've asked. I will show that you have my favor with you because I will make my presence known to you. I will be with you and I will show you my mercy. But for Moses, he could not see God face to face. Even in all of God's goodness, Moses was told, you cannot live if you see me face to face. You see, the goodness of God is simply so great that you and I could not, in our own accord, Moses certainly could not encounter all of his goodness and not be overwhelmed to the point of death. We cannot. In fact, almost every person who meets with God in some kind of direct encounter in Scripture, at some point or another cries out like, I'm going to die. Because the weight of God's goodness and all of His power and all of His love is far more than we can handle. The truth of His justice and His power Going forward, the story continues. And what happens next, unfortunately, the people all fall apart. The people of God begin to worship a false god. They, they, they had previously, in chapter 32, they had worshipped this idol, this golden calf they made in their image, and all the laws of God had been broken. And so now Moses is forced to come back before God. God, you gave us your word and we broke it. Now what? So Moses goes forward and God promises that He'll make for him a new way. Continuing down a little bit, we're skipping to chapter 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of their testimony in His hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Now picture that. Moses... Goes before the Lord and intercedes. Look, your people have sinned and are falling away. You have promised to be our God. You've promised to be with us. I refuse to move from this place unless you show me your face. God says, I can't do that, but I'll, I'll still show you my glory. And just the backside of God alone is enough that Moses, in his presence, is physically transformed to look different. His face shines because he'd been in God's presence. You know, we all have at times seen people who convey such a sense of God's presence that when we look at them, we just know something is different. There's something about them that is so peaceful and inviting and also at times a little bit like, gosh, thats I don't know that I can be around that. I'm not quite to that level just yet. All the people see Moses' face glowing from being in the presence of God, and they're scared. If he's been in the presence of God and we are sinful, what will happen for us? So because they're scared, here's what happens. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, this is in verse 34, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what what it was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Because of the people's fear of what was happening inside of Moses and what was happening to Moses in the presence of God, because of their, their fear for their own sinfulness said, Moses, we can't see you face to face. And so Moses would guard them by putting a veil over his face so that they didn't see all of God's goodness upon him. If this doesn't sound a little strange to you, it maybe should. But I think we do the same thing today. We see people who are filled with peace and goodness and we put up barriers like they, something must be off with them. Or or maybe we don't put up a barrier against them. We look at them we're like, I can't ever be like that. And we just settle in for being where we are or who we've been and not who we could be. We get really comfortable saying, well, I'm not quite like that person or that thing or whatever it is. And and we never stop to ask, how did you become this person filled with peace or joy in the midst of struggle or pain? Even in the midst of pain, this person who's filled with hope. I want to be like that too. Flip forward for just a moment to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, I don't know if you put the page number on here or not. You did not. Cool, I didn't tell you to. It's all on me. Here you go. 2 Corinthians, here's this verse. Paul is writing, and he's talking about how you and I have been given a new covenant. See, Moses was given the covenant of the law. Here's God's rules and the way in which you live to honor Him, and the way in which you guard being with Him, and All of these laws, all of this stuff leads us to death because you and I will never fulfill these laws. We'll never get it just right even once, yet alone regularly. We will fall short. And Paul, he's writing, and he's talking about how we've been given this new covenant, and this new covenant actually takes that which was good before but led to death and gives us something even better. Here's what he says in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, this is chapter 3, by the way, in case I didn't say that. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul, he hearkens back to Moses and says, If Moses could bring the law, which brought pain and death because they never measured up, and bringing the law was so good that his face was transformed and looked different, but he had to hide behind a veil. How much more so for you and I who do not need to hide behind a veil. Who through Christ have been made new. We are being transformed from one degree to another into the same image of God Himself. See, Moses could not see God face to face. But you and I have been, invite, have been invited in to do just that. God came in the flesh to be one of us that we could see Him face to face. To remove that veil that says you must measure up and live a certain way and instead to invite us to simply learn to gaze upon God and all of His goodness and all of His beauty and know that right now as it stands, we are not who we one day will be. But He has set us free that we can become that person. That we can pursue His presence day in and day out. That we can pause in the midst of our crazy, crazy life and crazy world and know that God is with us always. In fact, Jesus, he, his, some of His last words on this earth before He left was, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You and I in Christ will never be left alone. And so when we find ourselves in times of trouble and difficulty and confusion and chaos, when we feel lost and wandering, we do not need to wander aimlessly. But we're invited to gaze upon the Lord, to spend our time and our energy with Him. So that when we're with Him, we slowly become more and more like Him. I love watching as married couples grow older together because there's a thing that happens and maybe you've noticed it. Over time, the two people begin to look and sound a lot alike. Did you know that? Like, if you've never paid attention to it, start paying attention to couples that have been married like 50 or 60 years They will use the same language for a lot of things. They will have this whole language that they can understand that nobody else does where they say one or two things and it communicates a lot more behind it. And they understand in the silence they can look at one another and they know what the other person is about to say or is thinking or is feeling because they've spent a lifetime being together, sometimes in the talking and sometimes in the activity and sometimes in the listening and other times in the silence. They've been able to peel back that veil that keeps us separate from one another and to peer into each other's hearts and souls and see all the brokenness and all the pain and all the sorrow and also all the really good and beautiful and lovely. If we can do this in relationships with one another, Imagine how much more we can do this with a God who loves you unconditionally and wholly. With a God who is all-powerful to see all of your brokenness and your sin and your mess and say, I will be enough when you are not. I will forgive what cannot be forgiven. I will heal what cannot be healed. I believe it's Peter who writes elsewhere that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In our Bible Belt culture, we sometimes talk about salvation in this language. like, well, when did you get saved? And we think it's almost this transactionary moment. Like suddenly everything's okay. My bank account's now in the black. I'm not in the red. It'll be okay. And I can just go on doing whatever I wanted to do before. But the word salvation comes from the same root word as salve or healing, ointment. To work out our salvation is to work out the healing that God is pouring out in our hearts and our minds and our bodies to become the person we were made to be is to see not a transaction where one time it was all said and done but an ongoing relationship where we can be honest and real and vulnerable and messy and broken and we can be loved in spite of it all and we can look upon a god who looks at you and sees not your mess but your beauty not your ashes and your sin but the life he's freely giving and we can be transformed. So how do we begin to spend time in prayer simply with God? Well, to spend time with God, I believe, requires us to do a few things. First, we need to spend time simply looking at God. It's easy in our prayer time to give a long list of all the things we think we need and all the people we want to pray for, And to simply forget who it is we're talking to. To spend time looking at God is to practice the habit of slowing down your mind and simply fixating on the one who is with you and talking to you. God, you're here in this moment. Help me to see it. To feel it. To believe it. To simply be with you even in the awkward silence. As we gaze upon Him for who He is, we will become new. When we want to spend time with God, we need to not just look at Him and behold all of His glory. We need to submit ourselves to Him. See, to be with God is to recognize that everything He has planned is for your good. And sometimes we walk through all kinds of pain to get to the reward at the other side. I'm not talking a reward like if you just suffer for a little bit, suddenly all your problems will go away. In this life, you will have trouble. But take heart. He has overcome the world. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. These are Jesus' words, an invitation to you and to me. To say, surrender all that we believe and all that we are and all that we hold dear and all of our difficulties and our vulnerabilities and those things we want to keep hidden from others. Lay them before him. I promise you he will make your next step and the following steps better than you could have ever before believed. Jesus himself submitted all of his will to the Father. You want to see this look there to the garden where the father's asking him to go and to die, preparing him to give his life. And he says, if there's any other way, but not my will, yours be done. Submission is not saying that you have no voice, and it's not saying that your feelings and experience don't matter. Submission and yielding to His will is trusting that even with your voice and even with your feelings and with your experience, even then God is greater. So we trust in Him. Learning to pray and be with Him requires us to look upon His goodness, to submit our own will to Him, and finally to learn to simply rest in being loved. When you begin dating or meeting somebody new and you start a relationship, it's really busy and it's fun, but it's exhausting. And the more you spend time with them, the more it's okay to be in the same room, reading your separate books, saying nothing and glancing over from time to time and seeing the other person and being reminded it's going to be okay. And that's enough as we practice prayer and learn to be with God, whatever may come, we can simply rest with Him. There's a prayer I've shared with you before that I pray often, especially in times of doubt and confusion and question. I often simply pray, God, You are God and I am not. It will be okay. And sometimes I add too that You are God and I am not. Remind me that it will be okay. See, simply learning to be with Him in all moments of our life, we can find deep contentment and joy and peace, whatever tomorrow brings. But there's a couple of big challenges to our being with Him. There's a couple of things that hinder our prayer life that I want to warn you about so that when this week you spend time with God, you are prepared. What do you do when these things come against you? First, in our time with God, the number one killer, the singular biggest reason why you will feel like God is far from you all the time, I believe, is hurry. We live in a culture that tells us to be busy is to be successful, And so we fill our time and our schedule with so much stuff that we don't have time to simply be who we are or to breathe in deeply and rest. If this week in your practice of prayer you desire to spend time discovering what it's like to be with God, what I encourage you to do is not only find a place that you can have for your time of prayer, I encourage you this week to find a time for your time of prayer. Wake up a few minutes earlier. Turn off the TV one episode sooner. Do something that you don't normally do to purposefully slow down. Maybe this requires you to say no to things you've said yes to for a long time. People want you to go certain places or do certain things or fill your life. And, instead, you say, you know what? Right now what I need is to simply be with God. No, I'm not going to go there or do that I'll do it next time. Hurry will kill your time with God because you simply miss out on all the things he's doing. In addition to hurry in your prayer life, anybody in here struggle with focus from time to time? Only a few of us. I'm I'm right there. Anybody ever sit down with great intentions? I'm gonna pray today, and 30 seconds later you're like, Man, remember that football game a few weeks ago that I really enjoyed? And the food that I ate? I should get some nachos, and your mind is like all over the place and has nothing to do with your prayer. Anybody? Distraction will kill your time with God. But distraction is not inherently bad. We are made to be distracted. Like our minds are made to think about a lot of things. So when you're spending time with God, when you're slowing down and seeking to set aside time to pray, know this, every time you're distracted, that is an invitation to come back to God, to be with Him once more. So when you recognize you're distracted and you're thinking about that TV show or that food or that thing you haven't yet done, come back to God and be honest, God, I am distracted by this TV show and I surrender it to you, and I want to be with you right now. That distraction's an invitation to be aware of his presence right now. That distraction becomes a problem when you linger on it. God, I'm thinking about pizza. Oh, that sounds so good right now. I really want to get some pizza right now. And you allow your mind to perseverate on the distraction. So, as you practice prayer and spending time with God, when you are aware of the distractions, give them over to him and move on and see what happens. If you don't know how to do that, one way you can begin is keep a little journal right there when you're praying, where you're praying. And every time a distraction comes in your mind and you realize you're distracted by it, take just a moment to write that distraction down and then pray, God, I give this distraction to you and move on. Sometimes those distractions are things you still need to do at work or people you need to talk to or or things you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about. And so it's good to write them down so you know you can come back to them later and go, these distractions are worthwhile endeavors, but not in my time with God. Other times you come back to them like, wow, that's a weird list of things that really doesn't matter. Okay, I'm glad I spent time with God. So hurry will kill your time with him. Distraction will kill your time with Him if you're not careful. And finally, there is a third thing I believe will keep you and I from being with Him. And that is our fear. In the same way that getting to know somebody new is exciting and sometimes scary, what if they see me for who I really am? What if they see that part of me I've tried to keep everybody from seeing? What if they know my brokenness Will they still love me? Being with God sometimes can be terrifying because we're afraid what if in my silence and in that place what He shows me deep within is not something I'm ready to wrestle with or to be aware of or to address. Sometimes we can purposefully not spend time with Him because we're afraid of what might happen if we do. Maybe He'll ask me to submit part of my life I don't want to submit. Maybe He'll remind me of sin I've been trying to ignore or justify. Maybe in that time He'll show me a vulnerability that I've been hiding behind, a wall that I've built up that He wants to begin to tear down, that I can become closer to Him. And so in our fear, we often hesitate to simply stop and be with Him. But I believe, aware of these things, you and I are invited by God, like Moses, to come into the tent of meeting, to be in His presence, not in one place over there, wherever we go, maybe a designated spot to help focus your mind, maybe in your car, maybe at your desk, maybe in your bed, wherever that is, to be with God. I believe He's inviting us to be known by Him, and in turn to know Him more. And as it says here in Corinthians, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It is my hope and my prayer that as we practice time with Him, as we learn to slow down and face our fears head on, that we will learn to be with Him and become like Him and eventually do all the things He's doing in this world around us. To love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. To forgive those who have wronged us. To be light in a dark and weary world. And it's my hope and my prayer that as we become more like Him and spend time with Him, our faces too will be transformed. Maybe not physically glowing, though that would be really cool. But maybe that when people look at you, they don't see all your anxiety and all your stress and all your worry and all your panic and all your exhaustion. But they see one who is deeply loved by God and spends time with Him every day all your life. Will you pray with me today? God, we thank You that you met with Moses in that tent, that your presence was known and all the people worshipped. We thank you that you spoke to Moses there on the mountain and he listened. And as he was transformed by seeing your backside, God, as his face shone with your presence and your glory, we thank you that though he was veiled, you invite us to be unveiled, to be set free by your Spirit to come before you with all of who we are, even the things we don't love and that we're afraid of. Teach us this week to slow down, to gaze upon Your goodness, to focus our attention on Your love and Your power and Your might, to submit ourselves to all that You are. God, teach us this week to learn to be with You, that we might walk intimately with You all of our days that this world might find their hope and their peace in you through us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. For the month of February, we've had this jar over here. And if you don't know, February is coming to an end in a couple of days. And this jar is so that we can bless a local organization in our community that gives all of their profits away, 100% they give away to support foster care and adoption. And so whatever change or cash or anything that's put in this jar by the end of this, uh, I guess Wednesday is the first, right? So by the end of Tuesday, so for most of you, that's probably by the end of today, uh, we're going to give all of that 100% away just to bless adoption and foster parents. but in this place, we believe in offering our giving to the Lord as an opportunity to join with him in the things he's doing. God's not only moving in our community through agencies like the empty cup, he's not only moving in our community through others, he's moving in this place and through you and me. And so if you would like to partner with what God is doing and the way that he is moving and and blessing other people and you'd like to support this work here at the Point, you can do so with cash or check uh, in the boxes as you exit. There's a spot on the wall you you can put your gift. If you have one of those physical connect cards that are in the pews in front of you or along the walls upstairs, if you'd like to fill out a way we can be praying with you or a way we can connect with you, you can place that in the box as well as you exit. And if you're somebody who prefers to give online and would like to partner with all that God is doing here through a gift online, you can give at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Some of you might be like, man, a a Bible study about death and burial sounds really depressing. Uh, I promise you will die one day. How do you die well? And what do you do when loved ones around you die? I'm really excited for the class, so I'd love for you to join me. I think it's going to be really great. Now, every week we invite your questions, and I do my best to respond. Uh, Steve, what questions came in today?
1: Well, today we actually don't have any questions. We just have one comment. Shout out to Anna and wishing her the happiest birthday ever. And if you don't know Anna, she is way back there in the back of the church putting her hand up right now.
0: Yeah hiding in embarrassment because she's the introvert who likes to be behind the scenes. So if you're an introvert too, uh, we'll find a way to embarrass you someday. I promise. Uh, happy birthday, Anna. We're so thankful for you and glad you're a part of this church. Is that it? That, that is it. No, you have an easy week this week. You guys are great. I love it. Uh, well. Every week you're welcome to text and questions and you're welcome. uh, They're anonymous. I'll respond as best I can. You're also welcome to text me directly and I'll gladly talk to you directly if you'd like. Um, But before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He look upon you with favor and give you His peace. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.